You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Joshua, chapter 7, I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. We're going to be looking at this for a little bit of a few weeks here. I want to show a couple. We're backed up a little bit on pictures, so i got to show two of them with Easter last week. So the first one is from last week. Is Caden here? He was here. I don't see him anymore. Caden Vorpagel uh, gave me this picture last week. Jesus on the cross, dying on the cross. Love it. So thankful that he drew that as we talked about our new life in Christ last week and looked at that. And then this week, thank you, Caleb, uh, is from Malachi. He's gone too. So uh, Malachi drew this. This is where we were last at in that battle of Jericho. And they and he. I remember him telling me, that's fire. So these aren't waves. He kind of maybe looks like he's on the ocean. He's not. That's the flames of that they burned the city. And so Malachi caught on to that uh, with that picture. That gives you a little intro to where we're at. This, this great victory at Jericho and the fame of Joshua. And then we get to chapter 7. And maybe we knew it because we know Israel or we know ourselves. They've got all these victories and here they go. So let's read God's Word first, Joshua 7. I'll read through... I'm just kind of stopping 12. It kind of looks in the middle, but we'll, we'll work through it as we go. So Joshua 7, 1 through 12. Here's the story after the battle of Jericho. <clears throat> but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as uh, Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. 
Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. And pray for us again. Father, help us in our time together to read your word. We need your wisdom and the work of your spirit, Lord, to make clear what is in the text here. Lord, the clarity of sin and its effect on a people and its greatest effect of transgressing your commands and who you are and going against your glory. Lord, today as we study this, give us a healthy and fearful and right view of sin and its effect uh, here on a nation. And we just pray for your wisdom and, and again, your guiding hand, your spirit, and may you be glorified uh, as we work through this text. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to do something a tad risky. It's not really risky. But I don't do many object lessons, but this one came to mind, and I thought, I think this will fit for today. So I hope, kids, you can see the water up here. It's high enough. Can you see that back there? Just not if I know we've got a little flower if you need to move. Um, I don't know if you know what this is. It's a little bit of food coloring. One drop goes a long ways, apparently. So I tried it out, and it does. Um, which is why I'm going to add it to this water. Right now, if I hold it up, it's a clear. It, this would be good to drink. Some of you are thirsty, and it sounds good. It's actually still cold. I got it out of the fridge this morning. It's all clear right now. So the test is, which I kind of alluded to already. It's not a fancy test here. All right. Is one, will one drop of food coloring affect the whole bottle? You might already know the answer. But just to prove it, let's put a drop in there and see what happens to the water. So I'm not, I'm going to force my, just one drop. So for not to make it more than that. So we'll open up the top. I got a sealed bottle so I can do this without dripping all over the stage. So I'm going to count just one drop. I know it's really tiny and you can't really see. There's one drop of food coloring in the water. And I'm going to let that sit here while the rest of the sermon goes on. I don't know if you can see it already. It is quite fascinating. You should go home and try this. It's actually quite relaxing to watch. But it, this is one drop of food coloring in a bottle of water. And already, can you see it blue from there? You can see, so it's enough that you can see it. And that one little drop is going through this whole bottle. We'll see. I don't know what will happen at the end. I've never, I haven't done it that far yet. But we'll see what happens. This right here is what's going on for Israel where we're at in Joshua 7. One guy named Achan, which I don't know if that's the word we get ache from, back aches, all that kind of stuff, but I think it does mean troubler. One man is going to affect the entire nation of Israel. And specifically, not him, it is him, him in his sin is going to affect this people. And we're going to look at that today. That's what we've read in our text. And what we'll really be looking at for the next couple of weeks as I think Joshua chapter 7 and 8 just kind of are one together, maybe a package, and we 
titled kind of this, this series, at least through this section of Joshua, as being fully devoted. And it's kind of a play on the words because there's, you're going to read a lot as we go through here about the devoted things. And, and there's devoted things that they took and they shouldn't have. And we're going to look at those. But it's the idea of us then being fully devoted to the Lord. And, and I was thinking of our, you know, what we would ask, how's your devotions going? Or some of you have, and I hope many of us, all of us, are having devotions. That's, that's one aspect if you're having that time with the Lord in the morning, the evening, whenever it is, when the kids are taking a nap and you can sit down, those devotions. But that word's so much broader than, than just that maybe time that you would think of your quiet time, your time with the Lord. It's a life fully devoted to the Lord. And here, what we're reading today is the opposite of the devotion of one man to the devoted things that affected all the people. And so that's what we'll be looking at this week and then as we go. So look back in your text then at verse 1 of Joshua 7. And let me read that to us. It's quite a kind of a summary verse. It says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. There's our word, devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. This is really the verse that sets the stage for the rest of what we're reading. This is kind of the, here's what's going on, summary fashion. It's kind of this, and this first statement even, I think, gives us a clue into what tragedy is coming to Israel. And it's that statement, the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. They broke faith. The Hebrew here, Hebrew word for broke faith means... Uh, to sin or transgress, or you might say act unfaithfully. And it's actually, it's kind of, it's, it's in two. It's like they sin to sin. There's two words for broke, maybe that's where the broke faith comes from. There's, they sin to sin or they broke faith, as you see, or they acted unfaithfully. To whom were they unfaithful? Who was Israel unfaithful to? Israel, this is God's covenant people people in divine relationship with their God. And they were to follow God in all his words. And perhaps one very clear direction before Israel, before they ever entered this promised land, was given back in Deuteronomy. I do want you to turn there. Just go back to Deuteronomy 7. Uh, so you see this connection here, um, even as we get to the devoted things. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 22. If you find 7, find verse 22 in Deuteronomy. These are the words of the Lord. He's speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. Now, we're stepping back in time a little bit before they cross over the Jordan into the promised land. These are the words, and I think they're just a fitting place to consider just what has Israel done? Okay, they broke faith with the devoted things. So what have they... I mean, is that really a big deal? Uh, yeah. And so we pick up here, Moses, speaking of destroying the nations that they're going in to possess, and look at verse 22. So it starts with the hope. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. 
this is great news. This is hopeful, right, for going into this promised land. Verse 25, the carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. So fast forward then. We're back in Joshua. Fast forward to Joshua's command. Here's the command from of old. Take the silver and the gold, these things devoted to destruction, and then look back. If you're in chapter 7, just look back up or wherever you're at to, to chapter 618. Remember that command. This was before, they, before those walls fell at Jericho. There was the command by God through Joshua, verse 18, kind of like a reminder, hey, in case you forgot all of Deuteronomy, here's a reminder as we're going in, Joshua 6.18, But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And so in verse 1 of chapter 7, Israel has acted unfaithfully, broken faith, and specifically it's Achan of the tribe of Judah who took some of these devoted things. If you look a little further, I know we're kind of jumping around, but we'll, we're getting there. If you look at verse 21 of chapter 7, we'll, we'll see that next week, but just, just jump over to verse 21. Because you might say, well, what did Achan take? Did he take was just small stuff or what? Here's 21, um, uh, where Achan is actually confessing to what he did. He says this, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. The clothing presumably, I think, was to be burned, and the silver and gold was to be brought not to your house, not to bury somewhere, but to the treasury of the Lord. It was devoted for a purpose, and he took from it. And he took it, and so the Lord burned with anger. Israel here, they'd been commanded prior to ever crossing the Jordan. And then this reminder given by Joshua on the day of the battle, and so rightly God burned with anger because His people, they failed to act with faithfulness to His command. And just note here, just so you don't miss it, who God is angry with. It's not just Achan. He's angry with the people. The people of Israel. It's they broke faith, and it's to them he is angry. He's angered against the people of Israel. Yes, Achan, his name and his lineage, they're zeroed in. He's the culprit. But Israel as a whole must deal with this consequence. So verse 1 really just sets up a summary of this chapter. God is going to burn with anger until the sin is punished and justice is served. 
But at this time, right here now in the reading, as we're done with chapter, or verse 1, I should say, no one in Israel except Achan knows about this. So any, everybody's unaware of this that has gone on except Achan. And so we look at what happened in verses 2 through 5 that I read from. We're not going to read it again. I'll just summarize them. But they sought to advance ground in that new land, to go to Ai, conquer it. Let's get some new ground. Let's keep going in this conquest. It's going well, not knowing that Achan had already taken these devoted things. And we know it didn't go well for them. So we've, we've already read verses 2 through 5. Let me just make some comments. One about Ai. Um, itself, the, the name means rune or heap of runes. It doesn't seem anybody's really sure of quite where it's at. We're given some hints. Um, Jericho to Ai, it's near uh, this Beth uh, Avon or Beth El. Here's just of interesting note. If you look at, uh, it's pronounced Bet, if you want to, you know, you'd be all fancy and correct. Beth Avon, you know, if you say that, okay? But nobody, we know it's Bethel. So, uh, or Beth Avon here. The Bet part is house. So if you say Bet, that's house. And then it's kind of the last part of the word that we're interested in. Well, house of what? So Bethel or Bethel is house of God. El, that word for God. So, okay, that's neat. What's Beth Aven? Well, that's not so neat. It's house of iniquity, house of sin, Beth Aven. And here's Ai, which is near these two towns. It's near Beth Aven, east of Bethel. And I just think it's just interesting. And maybe it's it's speculation, but... These places, they're kind of listed as the real problem Israel's facing. Is Israel going to be a house of God, a Bethel, or a house of iniquity, Beth Aven? And so where are they going to be at here? Uh, as far as Ai's location, uh, it's in the central kind of, of, of Israel. It's west of Jericho, and just from my reading, it would kind of serve as a central hub. So think of Joshua, if you can... We have our, in, our imaginary map of Israel right here. I'm, I'm doing it for, from your perspective. They cross the Jordan. They're in Jericho. And somewhere here is Ai. So north and south is the land. Kind of a good place to conquer first. Divide and conquer, right? And um, what was that? One resource said, This region was a strategic center for control of the hill country to the north and to the south. So this is a great location to choose to go to, uh, this Ai. But another question might arise, and I think it, it, it does, and that question is, did Joshua here, going up to Ai, did, did he fail to consult the Lord? Was, is the problem here that Joshua failed to check with God before he went to Ai? You know, there's so much about Jericho, and then there's so little, and they just seem to already be going. Uh, Numbers 27, you don't need to go there, but it talks about Joshua's commissioning uh, as next in line from Moses, and it alludes to the need for Joshua to inquire of the Lord via Eleazar the priest. So for Joshua to inquire, what do you want me to do? Through the priest, Eleazar, before going out. And so it seems here, at least that, that's, I think you could gather that from that. It's not terribly clear there, that idea. So you might say, well, Joshua didn't inquire. He didn't check things out. That's the problem. He should have. And, and maybe that's the case, but I don't think so here. 
I don't, it's hard to make that case. We don't know. It doesn't say he did or he didn't. It just doesn't say. I think what's at issue is the sin of Achan. That's what we've already got from the text, that that's the fault line. It's his sin. That's what's affecting everybody. It's not Joshua here in this case. We will see later on where they make a bad move with, um, I think it's the, the Gibeonites, and they, do, they should have sought counsel, and they didn't. It's very clear there. Here it's not so clear, and I think Achan's the one surely to blame here. There's not many details in this, this going up to Ai, uh, the defeat and coming back. It's kind of just a short little paragraph. And it's not interested in the details, where they went, the route, all those sorts of things. I mean, it gives a few details of the, the how many's. We just learn that they thought they would have victory which, with much less men, and they all ended up fleeing from the men of Ai. Some 36 of them die. I think really if Israel had all 600,000 going in. I think what would have been the I think they still would have they still would have been defeated. I think the narrative it's teaching them, the Israelites and us in 2019 just what happened as a result of the sin of Achan. It was one cloak, some silver and gold, and all Israel fled from what should have been certain victory. And they fled, and then it says their hearts melted. The people of Israel, here in this land of promise, we've, we've read about hearts melting before, but it's usually of the enemy. Their hearts are, they're the ones melting. But now the hearts of the people melted and became as water, as that paragraph ends in verse 5. They're the ones now troubled by their enemy. It was a defeat. They lost this battle when they thought they had it won. But again, I don't think they lost it due to lack of planning, picking less men, or all that sort of thing. They lost it because of sin. The sin of one affected all of them. And yet, Joshua, then we kind of transition to verse 6. Joshua in the narrative, he doesn't seem to know this yet. All they know is this present defeat, which results in them falling to the ground. Look at their reaction in verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes. So they all come back. They've been defeated. He tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. What's the initial reaction of Joshua and the leadership or the elders of Israel here? Their initial reaction is humble, falling to the ground, before the Lord with dust on their heads. So far, they don't have any idea what's going on with Achan. All they know is there's defeat, something's gone wrong. I think it's interesting, their initial reactions. I don't know that we as parents would do well to learn from this and others the initial reaction to the bad news of defeat. Where do they go? They do not immediately go around the camp finding out who did this, who, you know, they're just, they're not out there. Who's, you know, what happened? They're on their face before the Lord. Remember the ark, the covenant, the presence of God? That's initial spot number one. So rather than finding blame initially, okay, they bow themselves before the Lord. Whether you're a leader in your family, 
or this church, or elders here, they're here today, I would say this is where we need to be found when defeat comes upon us, if you will. Either our family or church seems to be melting down. I'd love to say, I got this one down. I don't. There's going to be time. There will be time for Israel here and for leadership and for you leaders and your families to say, here's the blame. Here's what's going on. Here's what's wrong. There'll be time for that, for investigation, but the first place is them coming before God. And I think it's not for the leader to separate necessarily by saying, you know, look at this family you gave me or whatever, church, whatever it is. They're, they're one. The leadership here is tied to the people so that the defeat of the people is the defeat of the leadership. It's, it's tied. It's not a, it's them, it's us. It's just tied in. They're, the leader's, they see defeat, it's we're bowing before the Lord. What's happening? What's going on? So success and defeat is shared jointly with both leader and people. May we be leaders, husbands, fathers, leaders here in this church, elders, and elders that would be, that you have a desire for eldership, who in crisis that we would go first to the Lord, to bow at his feet for wisdom first. And then go out and lead. Sounds like a good idea now, doesn't it? And it's probably good in the midst of a calm Sunday morning right now. There's no tornado blowing in here or fires right now. To say that's a good idea. Go before the Lord. It's really hard when you hear that news to maybe certainly go, what's going on here? And they will in time. Just thinking about an order. So it might be helpful. Let's look at verses 7 through 9 then. Really, Joshua, after this, begins to call out to the Lord. In verses 7 through 9, there's three questions you might say that he's asking here. Let me just read 7 through 9 again. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? Oh, Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Joshua's just, I think he's trying to simply figure out just what's going on. But in the process, he can't help but be overwhelmed at what this one defeat means for them. And that's what's on his mind. It's, it's as if certain defeat is ahead. So question number one is verse 7. Basically, why are we even here? What's our purpose? Why lead us over, Lord, to just be destroyed by these Amorites? It's kind of that familiar cry, if only we had stayed put. It was better before. Joshua, he's questioning God's bringing them here just to kill them off among the Amorites. And then I think there's, you could see maybe another question in verses 8 through 9. A question of, so the one question is purpose. Why are we here? The next question, what's going to happen to us? There's fear. There's fear. What about our enemies who are going to hear of this? They're going to come and defeat us. Verse 8 relays that truth. Israel has turned around. They've been in a retreat from her enemies and the enemies of Israel. And they're going to hear this. They're going to close upon 
us. They're going to cut off our name. There is fear of the future. So we're lacking purpose. There's fear going on. And then question number three, kind of, I think, a climax and maybe finally where the question just eventually leads to, and it's a wonderful question. What about your glory, Lord? What about your name? We sang about that this morning. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. What about your name, your great name? If this is happening and there's defeat, Joshua almost it's kind of looking at purpose, fear, and then what about the name of the Lord? That's, I might say, is biggest concern maybe we say well that should have been first on the list right God's glory I don't know but perhaps Joshua reason he goes from this to that and finally realizing that God's name is what's going to be tarnished because of the defeat of Israel I think there's some ties to this of sins effect upon us even if we're not directly the one sinning. You might think of it in terms of sin destroying our purpose of living not for ourselves but for God. Sin destroys. Our purpose is to live. We, we read from 2 Corinthians about living for God. It destroys that purpose because we begin to live for us, for me. Sin can lead us to fear. Now, I don't know if it's fear of uh, enemies coming in or it's just fear of being found out, but fear is present where, where there's sin. Ultimately, sin replaces the greatness of the Lord, His great name, with self or a selfish pleasure like Achan had. So for Joshua, the problem, for Joshua, for him and his thinking, the problem seems to be without. It's outside. It's the Amorites they're going to destroy. It's the Canaanites who are going to surround. The great name of the Lord will be tarnished but God's going to set Joshua in a different direction and that's verses 10 through 11 let me just read those the Lord said to Joshua get up then so here's the reply get up why have you fallen in your face Israel has sinned they've transgressed my covenant that I commanded them they have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own Belongings. It's quite a list of things that's here. And God steps into Joshua's thinking about why did we even come? We're fearful. Your name. And he says, really, sin is in the camp. My covenant has been transgressed because of unfaithfulness in the camp and among Israel. So for Joshua and Israel, the problem is not the enemy without them. It's not outside of them. That's not the problem. It's within. It's a much more stealthy and persistent enemy existing in the camp of Israel and our own lives. It's sin. It's an enemy far greater than an Amorite or Canaanite. And so then comes these words in verse 12, which if we think on it rightly in this setting, they're pretty heavy words. So listen to verse 12. If you're an Israelite, You're Joshua. You're hearing this. This is pretty heavy. Verse 12. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Here's the chilling words. I will be with you no more. 
unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. There's that line there. Here's a people, a people whose God is the Lord, and they, they've now really become just the same as every other enemy they were going in to defeat. They're, the, they're of the same lot. And the problem of sin is all are affected by it. It's not even just as we think of our nation today, it's not just our nation affected by sin, it's all of creation is affected by sin and the poison of sin. Marriages are affected. Children are affected. Our nation, etc. And now Israel, whom God had called out to be his people, are to him the same as their enemies. And so the ultimatum comes in verse 12. Unless a destruction takes place of the sin among you, God is no longer going to be with you. Which takes us back to that wonderful, those wonderful words. Many of you have them in your homes. Joshua 1 9, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you, we say. That's what it says, right? Do not be frightened. I read the whole verse. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This was the promise. If we're going to go into the land, our God is with us. And now that's fading as he says, unless you destroy the sin, I will not be with you. So God's promise was to be with Israel, but there was a condition. You need to follow after me. Well, we're going to pick up more next week, but as we close here, continue next week to the end of the chapter, let me give just two things as we close. One is a warning and then a word of hope, a warning. We want to hear this passage, this, this warning for us. Your sin, no matter how small you think it is or how large, has an effect not only on you but the others around you. When we sin, it's not just a personal thing. It's not going to affect anybody. God says in his word, we're a body, a body of believers, and when one part suffers, we all suffer. So when one part sins and the effects of sin, it affects all of us. Here's what Paul says in Romans 13, 11 through 14. He says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. This is from the book, this is Romans. We're justified by faith, right? Christ saves alone in Him. That's our salvation. And yet he adds here, he says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is Paul, I believe, talking to believers to be strong about on sin. No longer let this reign in you. Make no provision in your flesh to gratify the desires of sin. They affect you and your relationship with your Lord. David says, against you and you only have I sinned. And they affect the community. And we see it affects our nation, right? It affects other nations. Sin affects, and it goes. 
It has turned blue, okay? It worked. It's all in there. One drop affected the whole place. We're not without hope, but I don't want to just take this section and say, yeah, but in Christ it's okay. And it is. It, there's hope. But I want us to f- feel, and maybe that's a, another time today or you can just get along with the Lord. Wh- what sin is there in my life that I think is just it's kind of little? It's, uh, Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins. It's respectable. It's a nice sin. You know, it's kind of, it's not hurting anybody. Well, Achan might have thought just a little bit of silver, a little bit of gold buried over here. Nobody's going to notice. Boom, they, they lose the whole battle. But there is hope. Yes, there's hope in Christ. Hear that message as well. We preach a powerful gospel because of a powerful God who took our sin on the cross. What we celebrated last weekend and hopefully we celebrate every weekend is the redemption we have in Christ Jesus. And a God who, if you can see it in this passage, allowed the defeat of Israel that sin might be found out in the camp. He allowed defeat to happen and sin is found out. You might look at that, wow, what a harsh punishment, or an act of discipline for the people of Israel whom God steadfastly loves. Hebrews 12 says God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Uh, verse 6 says, of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You're feeling that discipline of the Lord or that help nobody finds out about that sin or that area. You know the Lord. Count that as God's grace to you to bring that out, that you would be holy before the Lord. We're going to talk more about that hopefully next week. But for you today, is your sin being found out? Today, somehow, in the sermon planning, today that's the passage we're in. And God doesn't make mistakes. That's where we're at. We're on Joshua 7 and we went 1 through 12 today. Has your sin found you out? Perhaps. Perhaps the Spirit's convicting you of some secret sin that's been in your life. If He is, praise God. We want to repent and have right conviction and feel the weight of that sin and remorse, but praise God that you see that and can confess it to the Lord. For your good, for your relationship with the Lord, because of what we're commanded to do in Christ, through Christ, it's how we're not saved by these works. We do them because we're in Christ. But praise God for His work. And that you would confess, look again. Don't let that sin stay there. Because it does, doesn't it? Sin is just, oh, we're defeated. What's... What's the purpose in life anyway? Keep failing. Allow that to lead you back again to the glories of Jesus. I will share this because we're getting to know each other as a group. Saturdays seem to be some of my most sinful days. They're all, I mean, I'm a sinner saved by grace. They're awful. I mean, they're not awful, right? But my kids will attest. 
Dad's kind of, maybe I'm stressed about Sunday, whatever it is. There's sin. And I don't want them to be, so I'm in the same boat of you, seeing my sin, maybe the same thing you keep doing. You're so tired of that sin. And you go, what's the purpose? All these sorts of things. I count them as a blessing before I preach, right? So I don't come up and preach and go, well, I had a great week. I hope you guys get it together. I'm in the same boat with you. This boat needs to be pointed to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, none of us are too unlike Achan. And we've affected more than ourselves. In our sin. Father, there's, there's a greatness to your mercy that reveals our sin and our need for you. And so I pray you would work amongst us. Convict us, Lord. I pray we'd have welcome spirits. We would welcome others who point out sin in our life and say, thank you, wow, I was, I was off there and I, I'm running away from God and I needed that. Maybe today the sermon is part of that. And I pray, Lord, you would work in our hearts that our sin would not affect one another. We would no longer harm one another from our sin, but we would confess it. Or we would reach out for help and say, oh, brother, sister, pray for me. Ultimately, Lord, that we would look to Jesus again, that our sins would not obscure and Satan would not get a foothold to say you're failure. Yes, on our own, we're a failure, but with God, all things are possible. And with God, there is forgiveness because there's mercy in the truth of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and because he lives and will always live and intercedes for us. So we thank you for that promise. I pray we'd be hopeful, and yet, Lord, give us a godly sorrow for the sins that affect us and others around us. I pray this in your name.